Um, I'm going to share a real um, cute story with you guys. Yeah. Who knows what quaking aspens are? Connie, don't say anything. I baffled you? you aspens? Oh, okay. I'm going to read you a story from our daily bread. You do? While I was visiting Michigan's Upper Peninsula, two trees caught my attention. Though the leaves on the surrounding trees were not moving, the leaves on these trees were fluttering with just the slightest hint of breeze. I pointed them out to my wife, and she told me they were called quaking aspens. I was struck by the visual effect of those shaking leaves. While all the other trees appeared calm and steady, the quaking aspen leaves shook, even with only the faintest breeze. Sometimes I feel like a quaking aspen. People around me seem to be moving through life without issues, concerns, apparently steady and secure, while even the slightest issue can unsettle my heart. I see others and marvel at their calm and wonder why my own life can so easily be filled with turbulence. Thankfully, the scriptures remind me that genuine steadying calm can be found in the presence of God. Paul writes, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Not only does God offer peace, he himself is the Lord of peace. Amen. Okay. Before we get into the 23rd Psalm, do you need this? Yeah, I can read it. It's on 16 font. Wait till you write it. It's on 25. I know. Mom, it's only two paragraphs. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for this. Beautiful morning that you've allowed us to come into the presence of your name. And we're going to sit here, Lord, and gleam at your words and just worship you. And we ask, Lord, that you speak to our hearts and pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom through what we're hearing through the Psalm 23. And and just be with uh, the women that are here today. And thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Now. Up here is a meadow with sheep. So each of you pick out a sheep of where you think you would be in the meadow. Don't tell. (laughs) You could be the one on the end looking out to see what the other pasture looks like. Or you could be in in the middle. You could be hanging out with your mom. Not quite there yet to venture off. As I have some sheep coming up four years, I'll be houseless with no kids. So keep that in mind up there. And I'm going to start here with the song of the old shepherd. As most of you know, the Psalms 23rd, 23rd Psalm is not written by David, the shepherd boy. He is now King David. He, uh, when he came close to the end of his life, he looked back upon his checkered career, as you might want to say, and life had beaten him. It had battered, baffled, and bludgeoned him. 
he was a hardened soldier, a veteran who knew victory, privation, hardship, and he knew song and he knew shadow. He was tested and tried just like many of us. Here in Psalms 23, God, David recognizes God in three aspects. God the shepherd, God our guide, and God as our banquet host. So starting with verse 1, I'm going to break this down for you as simply as I can. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's look at the Lord. God, the creator, Alpha and Omega. He is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Those are very powerful because to a Christian, you need to know who your Lord is. Someone who's new and uh, walking with the Lord can't just say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, yes, you can, but only a person who's been through it all, through the muck, through victory, through hardship, can actually sit down and say, the Lord God Almighty, the he who is and is to come is my Lord. Nothing should be between you, your soul, and God. Here... Someone recognizes God as their Lord and Shepherd, you have to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and King. Uh, this rem- uh, I recently saw a Greg Laurie interview where before he married his wife Kathy, he told her, before we take our wedding vows, you need to know that um, you do not come in between me and my relationship with God. Very powerful uh, interview. Okay, next, the Lord is my. He's mine. So let's make it personal. Okay, take that, and he's my shepherd. He's mine. I'm going to wrap my arms around him. Okay, like our kids when they're young. Mine, mine, mine. He's mine. So this is a very personal verse 1 that he's talking about. The Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd, a person who tends sheep. David has spent his early youth as a shepherd. He knew well the responsibilities of shepherding protecting them from danger, finding good pasture, bringing them to still waters, and keeping them from straying. Here he loved to think of the Lord in that way as his shepherd. Who's our shepherd? Christ. Okay, I shall not want. For provisions, need nothing. I shall not want temporal things, satisfied with what I have and not what my neighbor has. How often do we see on the internet, on the TV, on the street signs, you have, 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 want, want, want. It's so hard to not want our humanist wants, but when you find that place inside of you where you're just so content with where you're at. I told my husband the other day, I don't need anything. I can open up the doors of my house and say, come on in, take it off. I don't want it. But then I would be scared that I would have to go to Ashley Furniture and go, I want that and I want that and I want this. So we've got to be very sure in our hearts that we shall not want. And it was mentioned this morning that the word shall is a very strong word in the Bible. It's, um, it's, it's pointing out that you just shall not want what your neighbor has. Because what you have, I might not like it after I get it. What works for me possibly won't work for you. John 6:35, and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Verse 2, 
We still got, oh, there we go, the shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. What are the green pastures? Are they scriptures of truth? When I think of green pastures, I visualize a dark green meadow with rolling grassy hills that go on and on and on and on. Kind of like the picture that we had up in the beginning. Kind of like Teletubbies, the movie. I don't know if any of you had kids back in the day. <laughs> on, on, on. So lying there, I would be completely satisfied. I would have comfort, rest for my soul and peace, and mostly feeling protected and not wanting anything. I am in the meadows of my Lord. Kind of like laying out on the beaches in Hawaii and being completely satisfied. For me, it would be Mexico. Sheep that are hungry will not lie down. When they do lay down, it means their tummies are full. Also at night, the shepherds would gather all the sheep from all the different shepherds. And they would all bring them in together to mingle. And, hey, how's it going? How's your shepherd? Yeah, you know, he won't let us eat till noon or whatever. And then in the morning time, when it's time to go out, the shepherds will call their sheep. And those sheep will follow that flock off to this way, off to that way, and off to the yonder of the other, of the other shepherds. Psalms 4 I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only make me dwell in safety. He leads me besides the still waters. What are the still waters? The influence of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference between still waters and rushing is the obvious calm and quiet, rest, restfulness versus moving fast, loud, and turbulent. When is it where God wants to speak to us? Am I going to hear him telling me what he wants me to do? Is it when it's calm? Is it when I'm calm? Is it when I'm restful? Is it when I'm resting in his spirit? Or when it's just loud and crazy going around me? It's when we're calm. Still waters. Sheep will not go towards rushing water. They are frightened by it. They do not like stagnant water either because it smells and it too, has too many bugs. They also don't want to drink water where the hogs are. When a shepherd needs to cross the water, I don't know, maybe some of you might know this, he'll lead the sheep upstream to it. It's very calm and quiet. Maybe a few rocks here and there, but just enough for the herd to get across. He takes the baby lamb from the herd, the smallest of all the lambs, and he puts it in his bosom and he walks across. He gently puts the sheep, the lamb, on the ground. Who will be the first one to follow after the baby? The mother. Once the mother goes, they all go. Jesus leads us and we have to follow Okay. He restores my soul, verse 3. My every need he provides. When we stray away from Christ, he quickly restores us back to his fold. He gives us life, strength to carry on. Just like the shepherd's staff with the hook at the end, the hook is used to bring the sheep back up the cliff, back into the sheepfold. He leads me in paths of righteousness. 
he leads us back to himself. Who is righteous? We're not righteous. Christ is righteous. We certainly are not. The path ultimately leads us through the valley of the shadow of the death. Our shepherd leads us on the right path every time. For his name's sake, there's no other powerful name out there than Jesus Christ. It's the one that the demons flee from, from the Bible that tells us that. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk. Does it say run in your Bible? Because I think mine says walk. Does it say walk? It says walk, not run. I know about you guys, but when I'm going through a trial, I want to fix it. If it's something with my kids, you watch out because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. Um, if I'm in a hurry to fix things, I'm not letting God do his business and do it for me in the right way that it should be done because I'm going to mess it up every time. Um, if God wants me... If God wants to teach me through my trial, I can't run because I'll miss the point. Through the valley. The good news here is that we are going through the valley. Sometimes we ourselves want to stop in the middle of the valley because we think we know what's best. It's too hard. It's too stressful. I can't take it no more. They're not listening. It's not going to work out. Okay? Life is the valley itself. We're all in the valley. We're all in different valleys. What's not hard about that, but it says through, through, not stop, and hang out and sing the song, Woe is Me. I can just imagine God sitting up there saying, oh, there she goes again. Someone go get her. (laughs) For me, every time I go through a trial, I think at first what works best for me and my family. Then a few days will go by and I'll forget anything about the trial. And then I'll look back and I'll say, oh, yeah, whatever happened to that? He has completely turned it around for the good. And he did not need my help on that one. The good news is there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is light at the end of the valley. The shadow of death. What is death to one who knows God? Of course it's scary. I mean, come on. It's it's scary, you know. We don't want to think that way. But... It's only the shadow that falls across our path on our way to meet God. So if we look at death, as scary as it can be, as our appointment with God. God's up there with his appointment book, 2.15, right on time. 2.16, oh, both of you come in. So if we look at death as the glorious thing that's going to happen to us is go from this life to that life, you know, How wonderful can that be? We are all in death's valley. It's our own humanness to be a little scared, but light is necessary to cast a shadow. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? For a child of God, no need to fear death's power. Light shadows come from light shining on the other side, which in itself is Christ. 
I will fear no evil. Jesus is with us even on death's bed. His presence dispels all fear. Calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, evil will dispel it. It is, we're told in the Gospels that um, you know the Lord would come and the demons would be like, oh, what do we have to do with you? Come on, just let us do our thing. You know, um, so evil, the presence of evil just dispels from him, his name. Uh, we tell, I know for me, I tell my kids when you have scary dreams, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, that presence will leave your room. The Bible tells us, um, again, that demons are afraid of them. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. That's in Psalms 34. For you are with me. Again, here we see God's protection. Isn't that beautiful up there? The shepherd never... I tried to get props for you guys, but Mario wouldn't come out and be King David, so... <laughs> Again here, we and for you are with me, we see God's protection on us. He provides a refuge in life storms. When the assurance that he is with us in every situation. He takes extra precaution to guide and assist, instruct and protect us each and every day of our lives. He is our help. He's our shield and our best protection. Knowing he is with us, the Lord himself escorts us through the valley, holding our hands. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod is used for defense, and the staff is for direction. Rescue, protect, and guiding the sheep. A figurative of divine guidance and care. The staff has the hook at the end to bring his sheep back into the fold. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What are enemies? Anything that keeps us away from Christ. It doesn't have to be a person. It could be anything. How about ourselves? Sometimes we can become our own worst enemy. Let God take care of that. He has prepared a banquet table waiting for us to partake. Every time we start yapping our mouth, I can just see God up there going, oh, there she goes again. We need to give our enemies to the Lord and stop trying to fix everything on our own and feast at his banquet table. Hebrews tells us, chapter 10, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. You anoint my head with oil. This is the Holy Spirit. I want to stop and take a little extra time on the oil. We can't live without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's healing and protection. And it's very important to know that back in the Old Testament time, it was very common to anoint oil as it was a Jewish custom to symbolically represent the pouring of God's spirit. It would be kind of like in our day and time where the two of us would get together and we pray over one of each other. Back in the Old Testament time, it was just a Jewish custom that they would anoint as you would come in. An expression to show God's favor based on what the Jewish teaching was. Remember, there was no Jesus and no Holy Spirit at that time. Not until Jesus died on the cross. All the old laws were then fulfilled 
like just again like us praying over each other. Okay, in 1 Samuel 16, this is where God instructs Samuel to fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And it goes on in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. How does that relate and apply to today's time? New Testament era, that's us. That oil has carried through after Jesus is found. Only in James where it speaks specifically of the anointing of the oil to call upon the elders of the church to anoint the ones that are sick. It is not, even though on a shepherd would carry a sack of oil with him, that was only used purposely to heal the sheep, if they got injured or wounded, and he would take the oil and he would rub it on the sore or the um, part that was injured to heal it. We are not here to call and ask for oil on our dogs or our cats or our house. This is specifically to call upon the elders of the church to anoint the sick. And we do have that here. I have seen here where uh, we've had um, Pastor Van Kirk come over and uh, Jeff had called up the elders and the Lord spoke to them to anoint him with the oil, the holy oil. My cup runs over. Symbolic joy. It's an abundance in everything we need. When you're so happy with the joy that God puts in you, you just can't help but just spill over the love that you have to share and to just lift others up. You're smiling all the time. You just have gladness in your heart. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Walking with God daily. This is a step-by-step process. First, we seek the Lord through prayers and supplication. Then he just pours on to us, fills up our cup, and then it just overflows with daily walking with him. There he is. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. In ending with this psalm, I wanted to just share with you, presently we shall go beyond the pastures of the tender grass, beyond the still waters that have restored and refreshed us here beyond the discipline that has kept our feet in the path of righteousness. We will be beyond our enemies, but never away from our shepherd. For we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my guide, I shall be led into right paths every time. The Lord is my host, I shall go to dwell with him in the house forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, I ended just a little bit early. Um, Can we go back to the slide with the sheep on the meadow? And there we go. So, um, picking yourself out in the sheep there. I mean, there's one here looking over here. And, you know, how beautiful is that? 
And it's good to know that we are all God's sheep, and he is our shepherd, and he wants all of us, all, not just this side of the room. He wants all of us to be in his flock, to be with him, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Okay. Do you have anything since I ended early? No. Nope. Well, more coffee.